Virginia Tech beats UVA for the Commonwealth Cup. Justin Fuente will be back as the Hokies coach. The Hoos and the Hokies, they both pass on bowl games. All that, we look at the ACC championship game and Aaron McFarling's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? I'm well, Mike. Hope you and yours are doing the same. Doing the best that we can, all things considered. <laughs> now, David, we have not had many shows more packed with news than, than this one, so let's just jump right into it, and, and let's sure. start with Virginia Tech, and more specifically, Athletic Director Whit Babcock's decision to retain Justin Fuente. We'll get into to Whit's thinking there, the reasoning, uh, how the whole situation was handled, all that fun stuff, but to start, just the decision itself. David, agree or disagree that this was what's best for tech football right now? Agreed. Uh, if you look at the numbers... I don't believe, yes, this five and six season is Virginia Tech's worst since 1992. It is the Hokies' second losing season in three years and the second in five seasons under Justin Fuente. I get all that. But if you look at the body of work, and I know the recent trend line is not good, but if you look at the body of work, they do not, it does not, to me, scream regime change. The only the only mitigating factor I could have imagined was if Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock had a bad relationship. And both of them insisted to us this week that they do not. So this is what I expected, especially after the Hokies' rather resounding victory last Saturday night over Virginia. Yeah, David, I think that's spot on. I think that sometimes fan bases and we and we get that you know there's passion there and then there's reaction to things but um sometimes fan bases are quick to to want that massive change and um i think ad's people like Whit babcock they have a, a deeper kind of responsibility there of what is what is the health of the program and you know certainly if things go bad next year people are going to criticize the decision and say well you you wasted a year but Conversely, if you fire him and he was the right coach and he was going to turn things around and he was going to get things going, really, you just wasted five years. (laughs) So to me, there's a lot invested right now in Justin Fuente. There's a lot invested by the school in him. Uh, He's invested a lot of himself in this program. They didn't go 0-10, 0-11, right? They didn't get blown out week in, week out. Um, They played nine straight weeks and then got a break and kind of came back refreshed. You mentioned how they put it on Virginia. We'll get into that more a little bit later. Um, it, it just it didn't scream mission critical to me. And I'm on record as saying in this pandemic year, if it doesn't scream mission critical, I don't think you fire anybody. Now, here's what Babcock, who hired Fuente in 2015 to replace the retiring Frank Beamer, here's what he had to say about his decision. The decision on Justin's future here was never made about money. Um, yes, we are in a bind financially. Yes, there's buyouts. Um but we were determined to make the right decision either way uh, because I cannot imagine a working relationship that you have somebody around that you don't believe in, that you just keep for money. So that was absolutely not the case. If it was the right thing to keep Justin, we could do that. If it wasn't, we could have done that. So 
you can lose or risk money no matter which way you go. So make the right decision and uh, the rest will take care of itself. David, so much it felt like of the conversation on Twitter, on social media, in emails I got, um, so much of the conversation about Justin Futures seemed to center on the money, the buyout. Who was going to pay it? Is it responsible to use that money now? Uh, should a donor foot the bill? Um, it was interesting, I thought, to hear Witz say, at least to tell us, that that, that wasn't really a factor. Well, n- number one, I believe him because for, for several reasons, Mike. $10 million buyout. Okay, the optics of that during a pandemic when you have laid off some employees, when you are looking at a revenue shortfall of around 20 to 30 million dollars. That's that, that's awful. But 10 million dollars spread over 4 years, 2 and a half million dollars a year. If you think that Justin Fuente is ill-equipped to stop this slide in your football program, it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more than two and a half million dollars a year if that program continues to decline. So if you don't think he's the right guy, it's incumbent upon you to find someone you believe is, pandemic or not. That makes a lot of sense. And Witt said he met with Justin for about four hours. They went over all aspects of the program. But I thought Witt and Justin both did a good job of emphasizing it's not like this is the first time these two guys have talked about the state of tech. People get this kind of image in their mind that the year ends and the football coach goes and sees the AD for the first time in six months and he reviews the job he's done. And, um, you know, Justin Fuente and Whit Babcock made it clear they've been talking throughout the year. You know, they, they meet weekly. So there wasn't anything that was going to happen in that meeting. I, I mean, barring something unusual, right? Barring Justin saying, I don't want to be here or, or Whit saying something that, that rubbed Justin the wrong way, maybe. Nothing was going to happen in that meeting that was going to change Whit's mind. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I thought it was interesting that Whit said he came away from that meeting energized. Uh, confident that Fuente is still the right man for the job. David, agree with me or no here, uh, in making that decision, Whit Babcock has tied his kind of tech legacy even tighter to Justin Fuente, I would think. I think he's tied his job security to Justin Fuente, <laughs> Mike. I, I, I really do. I mean, they're, they're going to thrive <laughs> or go down with the ship together. And that is often the case with athletic directors and football coaches, particularly at the Power Five level. That's how essential football is to the enterprise financially at the major college level, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Pac-12. If your football program is struggling, you're in a world of hurting. David, Witt took the unusual step of having a press conference to say he's not firing his coach. Uh, parts of it may have backfired on him, um, yeah. a, a little mm-hmm. you know, offhanded quip here and there that, that wasn't well received. But um, overall, that, that's fairly rare. And, and why do you think Witt chose to go that route? And what do you think the result was? Well, I, I think he, he went that route because so many of us have been asking, right? So I think he wanted to address the questions. Wit is not, and he'll he'll confess to this. He's not the most out front, visible athletic director you'll find. So this was his chance to explain his thinking. Now, did he ramble? Sure, we all do. 
Did he have a couple of regrettable turns of phrase? Absolutely, for which he then apologized yesterday on on Twitter. So uh, I wasn't as, what's the, the, alarm's not the right word, but I wasn't taken aback as many fans seem to have been by the entire presentation. And moreover, I thought Fuente was very good yesterday. Uh, I, I thought he conveyed a gratitude to the fans who weren't able to be at the games and talked wistfully about how much he missed the hokey walk there when they come up Beamer Way and the buses before the game and, and the fans are lying in the street and how much he missed Enter Sandman with the place going crazy. Um, I, I thought Fuente was very effective yesterday. David, yeah, beyond very effective. I, I thought he was likable, engaging. Um, he looked like he was about to tear up when he talked about his parents uh, kind of hearing his criticism and hearing people um, maybe downgrading the job he's been doing. Um, and this is where I think tech has made the biggest mistake in the last five, eight years, whatever it is. They've removed all of these guys. So Whit Babcock has to have a press conference because he hasn't really talked to anybody in the media for months. You know, mm-hmm. Justin Fuente has to have a press conference because by his own admission, he's extra reserved when he talks to us at his only availability during the, the week of, of Mondays. Um, and obviously there's the emotion in a postgame setting. I think Virginia Tech continues to do itself a disservice by not being more open, more accessible, because I don't think Justin Fuente is a bad guy. I don't think the fans would dislike him if they got to know him. Every time I've asked Justin Fuente a question about his family, about his personal life, uh, how he was dealing with the pandemic, I thought his answers have been outstanding. And I think you're right. I thought he struck that chord yesterday. Um, I thought the coordinators making them available was a good step. And, you know, it it, it does, you know, they keep saying they use the word humanize and Mm-hmm. Maybe that's over the top, but I, I think it helps when people are um, a little more accessible. It makes them feel a little more accountable, right? You know, UVA makes their coordinators available for what, five minutes each week. But in those five minutes, if you had a bad game, you kind of answer for it and, and it kind of helps the the flow and the feeling around the program. So, um, and I thought Witt and Justin both addressed that, that, that maybe there need to be some uh, changes in how open they are. We've heard that before. I don't know if it'll happen, but um you know, the idea that Justin Fuente is a, a bad guy or that Justin Fuente uh, is disinterested in this job, I, I think he made it very clear that that's not the case. Yeah, and, and, and Mike, it's not just accessibility to knuckleheads like you and me. <laughs> it's it's more transparency with with fans and, and engagement and things. And, and Witt talked about this on Tuesday and, and Justin did yesterday. And look, nobody expects Justin Fuente to morph into Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin. <laughs> that that wouldn't be genuine. But you know, just peel back the curtain a little bit. And and you mentioned making the coordinators available to us yesterday. That was a, that was a nice step. But you know, Daryl Tapp is is one of the most beloved players of the Beamer era. And he's new to that staff. And I know Daryl. I know Daryl from his time back in high school ball here in the 757. And I know him from his time at Virginia Tech. And then he went on to the NFL. You won't find many better ambassadors for Virginia Tech football than Daryl Tapp. And they have not made him available to the media once since they brought him back as an assistant coach. What are they thinking? 
God, that's And that's staggering because they know everything you just said. That's why they brought him back. They brought him back because former players connect with him, fans connect with him, recruits connect with him. Um, it's like they, they made this really smart hire and then stuck him in a box till Christmas. Um, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. Now, before we jump off this topic, I want to ask, because what came out, Justin's the coach. He's going to coach the team next year. There's not going to be a change. They're not changing any staff. How hot? Will Justin Fuente's seat be next year? I mean, it's got to be off the charts, doesn't it? Yeah. No, it, it it will be, and he knows it, and Babcock knows it. And and unfortunately, a very wise athletic director many moons ago once said to me, you never want to get to the point where every game is a referendum on your head coach. And Virginia Tech is going to be tiptoeing into that arena next season. And it is it is not pleasant, and a strong start to the season will will be essential, or it could get sideways in a hurry. Um, yeah, I mean he'll be on all those lists, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that that Whit mentioned, and it's something I wrote about uh, this week, was you know Justin's players they do seem to play hard for him, and they have no quit. Not late in the season, not even during a tough year like this one's been. It was it was that way in 2018. Remember they had to uh, beat UVA, then beat Marshall in that game they added to replace ECU just to keep the bowl streak alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that showed again Saturday night. They beat UVA 33-15. David, we were both there. We both thought, I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth, I think we both thought UVA, which had all the momentum, had an offense that was rolling, we thought they would win. It didn't happen. Um, I thought Tech looked fresher. I thought Tech looked more motivated. I thought Tech played harder and better. So what did you see and and why was it the case? Virginia Tech ran the football, Mike. Mm Mm-hmm. I, that to me was the biggest surprise and takeaway of the evening. For Virginia has, for all its issues on pass defense, Virginia has been lights out against the run pretty much all season long. One of the ACC's best run defenses. You know, j- just the previous week, Boston College had run for minus seven yards against the Cavaliers. I love that stat. Yeah, and, you know, and threw for 520, by the Thank way. You. Thank uh, you. But so what happens? Khalil Herbert goes off for a buck 60-something. Virginia Tech ran for 250-plus yards Saturday night, and I did not see that coming in any way, shape, or form. I agree 100%. And, and it looked like what Virginia Tech's offense looked like early in the year. Right yes. when Khalil Herbert was all we wanted to talk about, and um, what a great season he had. And when you look at the statistics, I think they're eye popping. And remember, he missed time with that hamstring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hamstring, you're never quite right. So uh, even some games he played, he wasn't fully up to speed. I thought Khalil Herbert was the difference for them this season. Another thing I thought, Justin Hamilton, and we've talked a lot about him, and, and we both, from what we've gotten to know, kind of like Justin Hamilton. So. Um, maybe we're a little biased there, but uh, <laughs> you know, he, he had a really rough ask of him to have no spring ball, um, to have a disjointed fall, a disjointed early part of the season. I thought his answers uh, when he spoke with us yesterday about the complexity of the defense saying that, hey, it's not that it's super complicated. And, and Justin Hamilton's a, a player's coach, right? He's a younger guy. He played at Tech. So he's not just saying these things. You know, He says it's not really a complex, complicated defense that he was installing. Hey, it's just different from what these kids have been running. And anytime you do something new and something different, it takes some time to get it right. And if they had spring ball and if they had a normal fall, 
maybe they would have got there. David, I thought the defense in the first half against Clemson, and I thought the defense all night against UVA looked right. And I think that's got to be a very encouraging sign moving forward. I agree with you, Mike. And you'll, you'll remember, every, everyone will, UVA's first drive Saturday night, it was surgical. Hmm. I mean, they just carved the Hokies up. I mean, no chunk plays, but just steadily down the field. It felt inevitable they're going to be in the end zone. And sure enough, they, they, they did. I believe it was 15, 16 plays. 75 yards. Yes, 75 yards, went three for three on third down. And you thought, oh, boy, you know, here Tech goes again on defense. But after that, they were lights out. And what really struck me, and you were on Broncos Zoom postgame. I was not, but I read the transcript. And I used this quote in the column because I thought it was so telling, is that Mendenhall, who's a defensive guy, said that Virginia Tech's coverages, the way they disguise them, the way they mix them up, confused UVA's offense. And I was like, dang, everybody, including us, everyone who's been banging on Justin Hamilton all season, take note of this. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty impressive. It's a huge point because I think it speaks to what we were just talking about that, you know, put this season aside and that's always hard to do. But, you know, when your question is, what do we think of Justin Hamilton? Well, we think that when he had time to teach his defense, when he had a mostly healthy defense and they still played without Belmar, without Waller, I mean, some key pieces, um, Caleb Farley opted out before the season. I mean, there, there were there were some huge pieces that would have made this a better defense. But, um, you know, you mentioned the idea that every every game becomes a referendum on your coach. And I think for Brad Cornelson and Justin Hamilton, every game, at least in the fans' eyes, was a referendum on them. And I thought Justin Hamilton really answered the bell. Um, you know, And again, the passion and the heart that that team played with, you want to know what I think is a fireable offense for a coach if your kids quit on you, right? Mm-hmm. If your kids are disinterested, if they're flat, if you can't get them to win at the end of the year. And I wrote, I think the number is eight and two in the final two ball games under Fuente, um, you know, since he took over at Tech, and one of those is losing to Clemson. What's I think we admit that there's no shame right now in that. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Justin Fuente, Justin Hamilton, Brad Cornelson. You want to nitpick certain details? I get it, man. This wasn't a great year, but um, the fact that their team showed up uh, as they did on on Saturday night, I thought was huge. It it was, and um, I but I give Fuente credit yesterday for a lot of things, but. I thought this quote was really telling because he was talking about five and six not being good enough. And somebody mentioned the pandemic and we've all, and we've talked about it throughout. And this is his quote. You can start to slip down the excuse hole pretty quickly. It's not that hard to do. We all want to do it. We're humans, right? But you've got to snap yourself out of that and realize you are what your record says you are. That's a fact regardless of the circumstances. And here's Here's the clincher. It's not like we played other teams that didn't have to deal with the same thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you have that. I actually thought about clipping that audio for this. Um, I asked him, and the reason I gave him the out was this was an incredibly hard year. This was a pandemic year. And I wanted to know what value is there. And I asked what Babcock, you know, what, what value as a data point is there in, in this season? And to their credit, because Justin's right. And I, I think that it's a valid excuse, right? I know nobody likes excuses. I think it's a valid excuse. I mean, if they had gone four wins, three wins, 
there's a big part of me that says, I don't know that the win-loss record is the data point that I'm staring at as I evaluate a coach in a pandemic year. But give him credit, one, for not taking the out when it was presented to him, and two, for making the point, hey, everybody has problems, right? I mean, and and I think we've heard him say that before in in non-pandemic times. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got injuries. Everybody's got issues. Um, Justin Fuente, in his time at Tech, has not been a coach who gives out excuses. And and sometimes I think when he addresses questions, fans might get a uh, misidea there, get the wrong idea there. Um, You know, if we ask him, hey, how hard is it to play without this? Or how hard is it to deal with this? It's hard. And he's not going to you know, sugarcoat it. But I've never gotten the vibe from Justin Fuente that he wants anyone to feel sorry for him or that he didn't isn't getting a fair shake. And and I think that's commendable too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I think that approach and that attitude is reflected in his team. Absolutely. Not looking for an excuse. They came out, they played hard Saturday night. We talked about that. And that also brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It and Simple question. Justin Fuente needed to beat Virginia to keep his job. Let's start with David. I will leave that, guys. I I think Whit Babcock is more pragmatic and more 10,000 feet than to base a decision on one three-hour afternoon or evening on the football field. Justin Fuente was either right to continue leading this program or he was not. Now, that said, <laughs> if that thing had been 41 to 10, Virginia, th- then then maybe that changes the conversation. But absent that, my sense throughout this was that Justin Fuente would be back for year six. Okay, Mike? Yeah, I leave it. And for the same reason, you know, had it been a blowout loss, the only thing that changes is sort of the critical mass of, of pressure on Whit Babcock to make a change, right? The fans are going to be 10 times more angry than they already are. And uh, it would have been two years in a row with UVA losses. And there would have been a somewhat different dynamic. But at the end of the day, and you and I both said we, we believe this quote, when Whit said it wasn't about money, then I think that meant that the UVA game wasn't quite as critical again and when we talked about playing hard they had to play hard um i think it's great that they you know didn't you know didn't come out and lay down that would have been a problem um but yeah i I think that if it wasn't about money and if it wasn't going to be about a donor being so angry that they fired off a check or donors being so angry that they say they're withholding their contributions if the finances of it were secondary behind is this the right coach then yeah, one one Saturday night against a pretty good Virginia team, guys. That's a, another thing that I don't think we hit enough. This isn't three or four years ago where there was some shame in, in, in having a tight game with Virginia, right? The program was in bad shape. This is a pretty good Virginia team. And, you know, they beat some some pretty decent people this year. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a better note to end on. It gives them some momentum. There's a lot of positive from winning that game, but I, I can't believe his job was literally on the line. And, and that that's specifically tied to uh, that one outcome. Now, David, on Sunday, UVA announced that it would be passing on on playing in a bowl game. Uh, Tech came out this week. They said the same thing. In both cases, the coaches said, hey, we basically left it up to the players. We, we said, what do you want to do? Now, it was interesting. At, at Tech, they were um, pretty forthcoming. They said some kids wanted to play. Austin Cannon from, from Atlee High School, he tweeted, you know, I'm one of the guys who voted to play a bowl game. Um, but in the end, uh, enough of the players didn't want to that the, the mindset appears to be, we're either all going to do it or we're not going to do it. Both schools end up passing. David, are you surprised at all that Tech passed considering the bowl streak? 
A little bit, yes. If, if only because, Mike, and you were on the, the, the same Zooms as, as I, every tech player we asked for weeks, literally, was all in on this. You know, Jared Hewitt, Divine Diablo, you know, maybe it was because or Khalil Herbert, I recall, because you know, he has never played in a bowl, he being Herbert. And these guys were like, yeah, if, if we're going to get an invitation, we want to play. And I think some of the older guys didn't want the streak to end on their watch, but apparently the consensus was otherwise. And look, no one should begrudge these programs, the, the decisions that they have made. That's now five ACC teams that have opted out. Uh, our two state schools joining Boston College in Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech. And they're just, they're worn out. And like I, I, I talked to John Swafford yesterday for a good while. And we, we, we spoke about this very topic. And I asked him if he was surprised or if he understood that some of his teams would not want to participate in postseason. He was like, I get it totally. And I thought he made a really good point. He said, it's not just the protocols of the season. He said, but go back to the spring and the summer and just the stress that we all felt as administrators, but that these athletes must have felt with the question hovering, are they even going to play? He said that in and of itself is beyond stressful. And then you tack on the season and the protocols and the adjustments and the postponements and the cancellations and the reschedulings. And he said, no, I don't blame him at all for tapping out. Yeah, I think bluntly, I mean, if your take on this is anything other than these kids can do whatever they want to do and thank you for giving us a college football season, yeah. your your take is crap, right? I mean, yeah. these kids went through a lot to give us college football this year and, um, you know, they, they deserve appreciation. And the same for kids who want to play, right? The same for the teams yeah. that say, hey, man, we're going to do it. Like, because I've even seen, well, why, why are you bothering? What's the point? This bowl game's pointless. You're not having a week, right? You're not having a celebration. Hey, if you guys want to play, play. And if you don't want to play, don't play. And more than any other year, we can, another episode we can talk about, you know, paying athletes and what they earn and what they deserve. But this year, by itself, more than any other time, I mean, these kids deserve to do what they want to do in that regard. And, um, you know, I commend them because I, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard at Tech to say, to admit, hey, man, I don't want to do this. I want to go home. I think that's really hard. And I think it takes a degree for both schools of courage. And I was impressed, too, that their coaches kind of made it clear going into the process and coming out of it that, hey, whatever they decided, they were going to have the support of their coaches. And um, I thought it was handled really well by both schools. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Now, there are games still to be played, even though our locals are done. And Saturday, David, you're going to be in Charlotte for uh, the ACC championship game that I think everyone expected when the year started, right? We all were thinking Clemson-Notre Dame. Uh, it's a rematch, although this time it's on a neutral field. This time you got Trevor Lawrence. And David, I'm, I'm curious going into this one. I, I think we both thought, if I remember correctly, that Clemson would pull it out at Notre Dame uh, in the regular season. We both thought Travis Etienne would have a big game. Instead, we saw Notre Dame kind of control the line of scrimmage, really play well uh, defensively, do some things, of course, offensively. Have you changed your view of Notre Dame and how close they are to Clemson going into this one? 
Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 that defense is so lights out. And the, the, the fact, hey, look, I know Clemson scored 40 points in, in, in the double overtime game at South Bend and DJ Uyunglele threw for more than 400 yards. But Notre Dame limited Clemson to one yard per carry and Travis Etienne to fewer than 30 yards rushing. That is some kind of defense. And then to, to think of what the Irish did to Sam Howell in, in, in Carolina in Chapel Hill, pitching a shutout over three quarters with, with Kyle Hamilton, their All-American safety, out for, for targeting. Um, that defense is so, so good. And Ian Book is, I believe I have this right, 30-3 and three as a starter. And, oh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence is 33-1. and one. I mean, it just – Saturday night in Charlotte is – it, and it's not even close. It's the largest football game ever between two ACC teams. And I know Notre Dame's a rental, but still, it, it's epic. Yeah, I, I, I was certainly not happy that UVA Villanova basketball got scrubbed. We were all looking forward to that game. But the fact that I'll, I'll be able to put my undivided attention and a little jealous of you, David, for getting to be there. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's going to be interesting, too, because I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, his standing in the Heisman talk. You heard Dabo say, like, whatever the numbers, whatever the votes, this guy's the best player in college football. And having seen Trevor in person a number of times now, I don't know that I can disagree with that. You know, other guys have had some great years, certainly. Um, but this is kind of, forget the Heisman for a second, this is kind of the showcase moment for Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, for his season. This is, hey, he missed the Notre Dame game. Now he's back. Now he's playing. And in some ways, and I know it's good for for the ACC to have Notre Dame and exposure but in some ways he's carrying the flag of the conference Saturday night and Clemson's carrying the flag of the conference because it's been great to have the competition it's been great to have the talk and the excitement but at the end of the day and and you talked to John Swafford I'm curious if this came up but at the end of the day you got to want a a true ACC member to come out on top here don't you well if you want two teams in the playoff you probably do because now that Clemson has one loss no two-loss team has ever made the college football playoff and certainly not a two-loss team that is not a conference champion. So I would think if Notre Dame wins, the ACC's chances of getting two in the playoff are slim. I wouldn't say none, but I, I would certainly think remote. We'll see. So, yeah, yeah from, from that regard, absolutely, you would want Clemson to win. And if you're interested in a Clemson Notre Dame trilogy, you know maybe we could get him in the champ in the national championship game in Miami on January 11th. That, that was my next uh, question. I was going to ask: Is there any chance that you could see them in the national semifinals, or do you think that would be avoided? I well, I don't think it would be avoided on purpose, Mike. But they're two three now, so they're seeded to play one another now. But you would think the loser of the game is going to drop. Now, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, Clemson probably becomes the two. And then does Notre Dame fall below Ohio State? Yeah. See, I I still think there's a real good chance that if Clemson wins this game, and and it's a competitive game, that Clemson-Notre Dame are (laughs) 2-3. And we get this again. And you know what? I know people sometimes get tired. They get tired of Clemson-Alabama or tired for those years of always seeing Oklahoma. I'm not tired, man. Like, this game is good Saturday night. Yeah, tee it up and do it again. And I'll watch again. Um, 
So, all right, X's and O's, wh- wh- what are you looking at? It's a different game on a neutral field with Trevor Lawrence. It's a different matchup in some ways. What are you looking for, David? Yeah, Clemson's got to be able to run the ball. And I, I asked Dabo Sweeney about that um, the other day during one of the ACC pressers. I said, do you need to be more balanced on offense? And he said, well, I don't know about balance, but we got to run the ball better. I'm thinking, dude, that means you got to be more, more balanced. And, and, and he, he preferred the word efficient. So I, I think the, the rematch, I don't know that it will come down to this, but certainly Clemson's offensive line has to figure out a way to block Notre Dame up front more effectively or it, it, it's going to be a rebeat. Now, I think what will help is that for all of DJ Uyunglele's talents, he's not the number one pick of the draft yet. He's not as experienced as Trevor Lawrence, and he's not as as good with his feet. And that's where I think Clemson's running game may get a boost too on Saturday night, is it? You know, Lawrence, and and we saw with that long touchdown run against Ohio State in the national semis last year at the Fiesta Bowl, Lawrence is sneaky good. Mm -hmm. Not quite like Brennan Armstrong, but he's sneaky good running the football. And he he ran for two touchdowns against the Hokies a couple weeks back. Uh, I I think that could play into this. And then the other part is Clemson's got to be a lot better in pass defense because Ian Book really hurt them going down the field to the likes of Javon McKinley and you know had to go 80-plus yards in the final minutes of regulation just to force overtime. You know, if you're Dabo Sweeney, you, you pin them inside the 15 with a punt late in regulation with a touchdown lead, you got to think, I'm golden. I'm going to win this game. But no, boom, Notre Dame went down the field with uh, the vertical passing game. Yeah, Clemson's defense hasn't been what it's been in recent years. Um, it still has the talent. Obviously, a great coordinator in Brent Venables, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. And I'm glad you brought up Lawrence's running because I thought the thing he did against the Hokies was he ran smart, right? Like, they came out and they were pretty focused on Etienne, and they were pretty cognizant of what they needed to do on the back end with coverages to make sure he didn't have a huge throwing night. So it wasn't that he broke off 60, 70, 80-yard runs. It was that he could tell from the defense, from what looks he was getting, where he could go get yards. And as the game went on and in the second half, Virginia Tech had to adjust to that. They, they had to respect him taking off and running because he was showing that he could win the game that way. And then they become so hard to defend, right? They're already a pick-your-poison situation. But when you think about his – and it's not that he's a, a bad runner, good runner, but my point is he's a smart runner, man. He picks the right moments to tuck it and go, and that really puts stress on a defense. Yep, it absolutely does. And, you know, then, then you add, you know, the likes of Amari Rogers and, and company on, on the outside and ETN in the past game. Uh, they, they, can, you know, they can hurt you in a lot of ways. David, before we bring Aaron McFarling in, I'm going to ask you, what's your prediction? Who wins the big game Saturday night? I think Clemson does. I, I think Lawrence does does make a difference. Clemson wins its sixth consecutive ACC championship, and the ACC has two teams in the college football playoff. After everything that, that the whole nation's kind of endured with the pandemic, I remember how excited I was just to watch some college games in week one. Um, I'm even more excited for this one. This is this feels like one of those moments that's going to lead up to the hype, right? One of those game of the century type games where when the kids take the field, I think this one's going to be really good. I, I can't wait to watch. And 
Now we'll bring in somebody else to talk about that. With so many big games on tap for this weekend, let's bring in our betting expert to point us in the right direction. Welcome, as always, to our good friend, Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times. As he does each week, Aaron joins us now for his segment, Amax Puppy Chow. Aaron, before we get to your picks this week, <laughs> you, like most of us, had UVA winning the Commonwealth Cup. They, they were the team with all the momentum. How surprised were you with, with how Saturday night played out? Yeah, I was very surprised. I was surprised at how well Virginia Tech played. We just haven't seen that from them at all in the second half of the season, although we saw some promising signs in the first half of that Clemson game. I, you know, I think in the future I need to remind myself, like, just just take the team who has the best player on the field. You know, last year it was Bryce Perkins. He was the best player on that field. This year it's Khalil Herbert. And, of course, Khalil had some – some injury issues, and he wasn't really himself there for a while, but, boy, was he good in that game on Saturday night. So, yeah, I was surprised. That was one of many surprises I had on Saturday. I, I did not have a good day, and I want people to know I'm sorry. I've got a ton of notes today. I'm, I'm going to rebound, um, and I apologize for, for last week's garbage. <laughs> well, another surprise maybe for, for some people – Aaron, if, if I had asked you to set the odds on this, I'm curious where you would have gone, but our sources are telling us that Justin Fuente will be retained as tech coach. Whit Babcock's expected to make uh, that announcement. Are you uh, surprised that, that this is the way it's going? And what would you have put the odds at that, that Justin was coming back? Well, I've been telling everybody who's asked me uh, my opinion, and I wrote about it two weeks ago, um, that I thought he would be the coach next year. I, I just thought with all the things you, you, you throw into the pot, you know, the pandemic, the money it would cost to, uh, to buy him out. Um, it just seemed to me that maybe it was a bridge too far to, to, to get rid of him this year. Um, although I will say once they sent out that, uh, that email yesterday, which which had no mention of Justin Fuente being on the Wednesday conference call that we're going to have regarding uh, signing day, uh, I, I now I am surprised because that made me think, okay, he he's he's not coming back. You know, I think we all kind of went in that direction, um, but uh, you know, it, it looks like for all I mean, hopefully this doesn't uh, look stupid when the podcast goes up. But uh, from everything we know. Uh, he will be the coach next year. And uh, that was sort of my initial thought um, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and especially after they beat Virginia. Yeah, and we'll, we'll ask you in a future episode where we put the, the betting line and the odds on Justin having the same answer at the end of next season, because I think next year is going to be uh, a real cliche hot, se hot seat season for Justin Fuente. Well, let's talk about uh, this weekend's games. And, and first off, Aaron, do you have a, an upset special you like? Yes, we're getting rid of chalk. We are not going chalk anymore. I'm telling you, it's called Amax Puppy Chow. We're going Amax Puppy Chow. Uh, we're going to go to the Big 12 title game. I like this game a lot. I'm taking Iowa State with the five and a half over Oklahoma. All right, here's the stat of the day. All right, past five meetings between these two teams, not only has Iowa State covered all five, but they've covered the spread by a combined 85 points. So on average, they've been 17 points better than the line in matchups with Oklahoma. That includes a straight-up win as a 31-point pup in 2017. And, of course, this year's regular season meeting, ISU won that one 37-30 as a 7.5-point dog. Uh, the matchup to watch there is uh, running back Bryce Hall, uh, Brees Hall. Uh, I say Bryce because that was a Bryce Hall for Virginia, but Brees Hall for uh, Iowa State. 
against the nation's number four ranked rushing defense. Uh, Hall has 1,351 yards and 17 TDs. He'll be crucial if they're going to, you know, keep that Oklahoma offense off the field. He ran for 135 yards and two TDs in the regular season meeting against Oklahoma. I'm hoping he'll do it again. Well, that brings us to the the big game in the ACC. And, um, you know, obviously we don't have Tech or UVA game to talk about this weekend, but we have the rematch. And we have, honestly, the ACC title game that I think everybody expected going into the year. Notre Dame and Clemson. Notre Dame, of course, won the, the regular season meeting, but that was without Trevor Lawrence on the field for the Tigers. Aaron, what's your breakdown here, Clemson and Notre Dame? Well, you see that line opened at, I think, seven and a half. It's now up to ten and a half. I mean, betters are jumping all over Clemson, and that's your first inclination, right? They're going to be mad. They're, you know, they didn't have Lawrence in the first meeting with Notre Dame. Uh, they're, they're great in these types of scenarios. They've covered – uh, in five straight neutral site venues as a as a favorite, you know every time you think, well, this is the time they might get bit, they don't. But I'm going to make the case for Notre Dame because I'm going to take Notre Dame. Uh, Irish, here's here's the number I'm looking at here. Irish are seventh nationally in time of possession, holding the ball 34 minutes and nine seconds a game. Now we saw that strategy work in the first half for Virginia Tech. That's what they did. They kept the ball. Uh, they kept the, the ball, and they kept the Irish off the field. They shortened the game. It got out of whack in the second half, as we all know. But uh, Notre Dame is better than Virginia Tech, and if they can do something similar to what Virginia Tech did in that first half, they can keep it keep it close. Notre Dame is 6-0 and against the spread against teams with winning records. The problems they've had this year in covering has been the big, you know, the big spreads. The Georgia Tech, the Syracuse, the Louisville, the Florida State games. They've won those games, of course. They've won all their games. But they're not covering those types of games. The games like this, the ones where they're either a short pup, like they were against Clemson. They were a five-point dog in that first meeting. Or, you know, games like um, they they whacked Pitt as a single-digit favorite. And um, they also crushed uh, – well, they won by two touchdowns against UNC as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. So in the games where sort of it, it could go either way, they've uh, they've been very, very good in those spots. So I'm going to go ahead and ride the Irish and just hope uh, hope they can keep Lawrence from, from going nuts. Yeah, they, they've been a, a big game kind of team this year. And I, I'm curious then, you like them covering. I thought that line was, was way too big considering uh, how Notre Dame controlled the trenches in the first meeting. Do you think Notre Dame can win this one outright? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think they have a chance. And I think that the beauty of betting money lines, as you know, you know, the the, the odds are going to be in the three plus 300 neighborhood. I mean, three to one. Um, and I think they have a better than 25 percent chance of winning the game. So, you know, it's sort of like pot odds in poker. Do they have a better if you believe they have a let's say a 40 percent chance of winning the game or even a 33 percent chance? That's value. Um, so you, you, you look at it and you say, well, yeah, I'll throw a little bit of money on the money line too. And, and just, uh, hope it works. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, Aaron, that's going to wrap it up for this segment for the year. We may still try to find a way to keep you involved in the podcast and basketball season, but we wanted to thank you for joining us all year and, and sharing your insight. It's been a lot of fun. It has been. I appreciate you, uh, having me on. It's been a pleasure, my bud. That's Aaron McFarling of the Roanoke Times and his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. David, let's let's hit some odds and ends before we, we head into the holiday break. And the ACC has its next commissioner. You, you wrote about this this week. You spoke to the retiring commissioner, John Swafford. 
He'll be replaced by Northwestern AD Jim Phillips. First off, good fit, David? It sure seems to be Mike. Now he's, it's, it's interesting. He's the first, he's the fifth commissioner in ACC history. The first who did not attend an ACC institution. He has no direct ACC ties, but he knows so many people in the league. His mentor is Duke athletic director, Kevin White. He worked for White at Arizona state and at Notre Dame before Notre Dame joined the ACC for its other sports back when the Irish were in the big East. But Mike, if, if you remove geography from the discussion, if you look at Northwestern's institutional profile, small, private, academically elite, 19 varsity sports as opposed to a, a, a ton, Northwestern's an ACC school competing in the Big Ten. Jim Phillips has been an ACC athletic director competing in the Big Ten for more than a decade. He's going to get the ACC. Because the with the ACC has six private schools. That's more, or that's as many as the rest of the Power Five combined. I mean, Northwestern's the only private school in the Big Ten, so I think he's going to be very comfortable with with the culture and ethos of the ACC. And I I think what what the ACC presidents have done is they they wanted new blood, so they got it, but yet they wanted someone who would appreciate and have a very short learning curve in terms of how the ACC does business. And I think they found it in Jim Phillips. Makes a lot of sense. Now on the basketball front, uh, Mike Young, Virginia Tech, they beat number 24 Clemson, opening ACC play with a win again, second year in a row under Mike Young. Afterward, Coach said it's premature to say his team has arrived but he acknowledged they're, they're better than a year ago. David, is it premature or how excited should we be about the Hokies? Well, I think he's right. And then that's the coach's job is to manage expectations. And I, I certainly don't blame him. You know, they'll arrive if they're in Indianapolis at the, at the NCAA tournament bubble in, in, in March. But I, I think the win the other night, Mike was encouraging on two fronts. N- number one, it came on the heels of the beatdown from Penn State. So nice rebound there. And speaking of rebounding, Mm -hmm. the Hokies did it with a vengeance against Clemson, beat them on the boards. This was much like the Villanova game. You know, they they really guarded and they were very physical on the boards. And, you know, that's what they were unable to do last year. And that's what the experience of, of transfers brings this season that to me is is still the biggest difference in year two under Mike Young in Blacksburg yeah I think it looked more like Mike Young basketball and, and that they're able to play that more consistently um, they did lose now one of their transfers this was mm-hmm. interesting Cartier Jara uh, the transfer point guard from K-State he was playing about 20 minutes a game so this isn't a playing time issue he's opted out for now Mike Young said uh, he may be back at some point but due to concerns about COVID and how the numbers were spiking um, Jara's not playing, not with the program right now. He didn't attend the game against Clemson. Um, interesting. Maybe not the last we'll see of that. What was your reaction, David? Well, I, I think it's a hit. You know, it, 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 it really cut, cuts down on their uh, depth at, at the guard spot. And I, I liked his game, too. You know, what, what glimpses we had in, in, in the early non-conference part of the season. 
you know, if he if he chooses to come back, I think that's great. I thought it was interesting, Mike. You reached out to his mom, yeah. with whom with whom you had talked previously, and she was unaware of her son's decision. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know if if that foreshadows maybe a, a reconsideration. I, I, I it was kind of strange, actually. It was, and I have heard from a lot of people in the, around the program that um, the door is very open for, for him to be yeah. back this year, that they think that's very much in play. Um, he's a very thoughtful kid. I, I did a long interview with him, a long interview with his mom and um, some of his other family members and friends and, and get, trying to get to know him. And um, he's a kid who thinks a lot about things, and um, I could see him thinking, making this decision. I could also see him reconsidering and, and coming back. Uh, certainly helps Wabi Sabidi if there's somebody else there to take some minutes because Beatty just played too many minutes last year. Mike Young will admit that. He just played too many minutes at the point. David, before we get out of here, I think you have some scheduling breaking news for UVA basketball. Yeah. It never fails, Mike, when we're recording these <laughs> things. You know, when the phone starts blowing up and, and all – Virginia, which we have, when's the last, by the way, when is the last time UVA played men's basketball? God, it's been for you forever, right? It, it, it feels that way, correct? Well, you know, yesterday we learned that the Cavaliers will return to practice this Saturday after a, a, a COVID pause and will play William and Mary on Tuesday, I believe it is, in a 2 p.m. matinee. Sign me up for more of those, by the way. <laughs> Great for uh, deadline. At, Great for at, deadline. Yes, at, at JPJ. But the breaking news you, you reference is December 26th, Virginia is going to play Gonzaga mm. in a neutral site game in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, and hey, December twenty sixth is a Saturday. That is prime TV time, TV territory. CBS will have the broadcast at four p.m. UVA Gonzaga, and the only UVA Gonzaga clash I can remember was the only NCAA tournament that mm. Pete Gillen took the Cavaliers to. I believe it was in Memphis. And our good friend Norm Wood uh, hit hit the Memphis town pretty hard, as I recall, prior, prior to that game. And, and Gonzaga beat UVA in what I seem to recall was a very entertaining, high-scoring game. But you, know, you talk about two coaches now, Mark Few and Tony Bennett, and, you know, who, who know one another, you know, Bennett from his time at Washington State and Gonzaga obviously in in, in Spokane, so you you know that that they're familiar with one another quite uh, intimately. Yeah, I'm a guy who who would sit on on the couch and if I'm not traveling or going to a game, I'd watch all those kind of low level lower tier bowl games. Um, I was wondering like what's going to replace your TV viewing in that window where we usually have a lot of those bowls. Um, we've seen a lot of them cancel matchups like this for basketball, yeah. real opportunity to grab some of that spotlight. No question. And uh, the, the, the quick release I saw said there, there will even be uh, an accommodation for some fans uh, to, to be able to a, a, attend the game there in Fort Worth on the 26th. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com, and I humbly submit it makes a great holiday gift if you're looking at <laughs> friends and family. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. 
For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Enjoy the holidays and see you again soon.